So some of you uh, know this, but some of you don't know this, but your boy Luke here was a youth pastor for 10 years. Was anyone else in here a youth pastor for 10 years apart from the Cruzy family who've been youth pastors for their whole life and intend to be youth pastors for the rest of their life? No, I didn't think so. I'll tell you, the, the, the best part about being a youth pastor was my last day of being a youth pastor. That was my, that was it. That was the best day. It really, it really was. And man, just thinking about how this morning we're talking about preparing your family for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, talking about family discipleship, talking about this next generation. That's why we brought the kids out here so you could see just how important these young lives are to God. It got me thinking about my youth pastor days back into the day. And I think my first year at it was 2012. Uh, no, 20, 2010, 2011. I can't remember. That's the point. Like, it's been too long now. And it was my first year as a youth pastor, and I made the novice rookie mistake of getting the team together and say, hey, guys, this is the plan for Sunday night. I want to teach kids how to, like, refuel on the love of God. I want, to, I want to teach kids how to, like, replenish their spiritual energy in the presence of Jesus. And they're like, okay, well, Luke, what, you know, what are you thinking? Like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I need a prop. I just need, I need a prop. What, what do you guys think? And they're like, well, we could do this. We could do that. I'm like, no, that just doesn't do it. That doesn't get me excited. Well, we could do this. Guys, those are all bad ideas. What if we bought 150 rock star energy drinks? And they were like, um, I don't know. That might work. And I was like, it's going to work. And so we bought 150 rock star energy drinks. And that night, all these beautiful shining faces, all these young disciples were all just like sitting here listening to the word of God being shared over their life. And I'm like, team, bring out the props. And so here come the volunteers like walking with cases of rock star energy drinks and they begin to pass this drug around <laughs> to the youth that are sitting in front of me. I'm like, they're never going to forget this analogy. It's going to be awesome. I go, okay, guys, on three, we're all going to pop the Rockstar energy drinks together. One, two, and then they all popped them. And I said, take their first sip. That's like taking a breath in the presence of... What's happening to the kids? What's happening to the kids? I'm, I'm like trying to teach this lesson, and they all start getting up. And I'm like, wait, this isn't going the way that I planned for it to go. And then the peripheral kids, like the peanut gallery kids, they just start taking off and running hot laps around the youth room. I'm like, this, is, this, isn't, this isn't working, like at all, at all, at all. And then all of them just disbanded in the middle of the message, and I've completely lost control of these philosophical raptors, and they're just gone. They're just gone. Some of them took off out the double doors. I'm like, their parents think they're with us. Like, this is not going well. After the whole night was done, we just suspended in the name of Jesus. We suspended everything. And we said, you know what? We're just going to exercise tonight. So we started doing laps with the kids around the church properties, running, just like this, just exercise. And we figured out how to make it, uh, you know, connected to Jesus. Now, I'll tell you, this worked for about 75 or 85% of the kids. But there's also like the peripheral kids that like mom and dad just brought them to youth that night and they didn't want to be there. So this was their out. They're like, you gave me an energy drink, deuces. And so they were gone. 
Now, one of my sweet, wonderful volunteers was a parent, and their student was in the youth group. And that kid took off with his buddies, and they went somewhere in this you know, larger facility, and they were just you know, slamming back the energy drink and having a good old time. We completely lost control of the night. Sam, don't ever do this. And the parent came up to me, and this parent was flustered. Like, this volunteer parent was flustered. They came up to me, and I thought, I'm like, oh, I'm bracing myself. Oh, no, like, what am I going to? I'm going to get an earful right now. Here it goes. Not, not what I thought this parent was going to say. This parent comes to me, and she, and she goes, Luke, our kids are falling through the cracks. And she walked away. And that was indicative to me that there was something else happening in the room and something else happening in this volunteer that I was unaware of. That kids are falling through the cracks. And even in that moment, I had enough discernment to put it all together that this was a frustration based on an observation. But from my perspective, that statement assumes there is a foundation. Our kids are falling through the cracks, assumes that there is already a foundation in place for this next generation. And if you are here this morning and you have kids, have had kids, they're grown, they're young, perhaps you are single in the room. Well, there might be a day that you get married and have kids. That happens sometimes. Perhaps you have the gift of celibacy. You've got friends who have kids. And maybe this morning you are a surrogate parent. You are a foster parent. You cannot exist in the kingdom of God without little ones being around you in some form or fashion. They're going to be there, whether you are their parent or not. This morning, we need to ask this question of ourselves as the mechanism, the, the central mechanism to build up this next generation of, of young people and their faith. We have to ask ourselves, how can we build a crack-proof foundation for kids and youth. Because I've heard it many times in my ministry. I've heard, Luke, kids are falling through the cracks. Kids are falling through the cracks. What are they saying? They're saying there was a foundation never built. There was a foundation never built. So how can you, how can I, how can we take the responsibility as the church to build up this next generation of young people, kids and youth and otherwise, how can we build a crack-proof foundation for this next generation? I'm going to give you the wake-up call of your summer. Look at your neighbor and say, wake-up call. 75% of the time, we spend with our kids in our lifetime will be spent by age 12. 75% of the time that we as parents, whether you are a biological parent, a foster parent, a surrogate parent, a spiritual parent, 75% of the time that we spend with our kids will be spent by age 12. So something happens, right? right at the cusp of becoming a teenager where you as the parent, the surrogate parent, the spiritual parent, the biological parent are no longer cool. 
You're not the person they want to hang out with anymore. You're not the person they go to to ask the toughest questions in life any longer. You're not their first stop. You're like their 10th stop. So how do we build this foundation? If at age 12, they've become disinterested in what you have to say. You kind of, we're kind of in a, between a rock and a hard place here, aren't we? Well, thankfully, we have a passage that speaks directly to this. You see, in Luke chapter 2, we have the story of boy Jesus. Very, very um, seldom is this passage taught in the church, but Jesus was a 12-year-old. Like, wrap your head around that, right? Jesus was a 12-year-old, and he, at 12 years old, has this beautiful, wow story between him and his parents in the Gospel of Luke. And I think that we get from this story a clear picture of what it's going to take for the mechanism of the institution of the family, the mechanism of the institution of God's church to be a foundation-building factory for this next generation. A factory so effective that it's crack-proof. Look at the passage here. It's in Luke chapter 2. Uh, the passage will be on, my screen, on the screens to my left and to my right, or you can power on your Bible as well if you'd like to. But Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 41, says this. It says, Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover when he was 12 years old, right at the cusp of deciding that Mary and Joseph were not the cool parents any longer, Right? When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. Verse 43, after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. <laughs> Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Let's just take a pause there. Dr. Luke, the writer of the Gospel of, of Luke, gives us only really one story from the Lord's youthful years. And Joseph and Mary were clearly devout Jews who observed Passover in Jerusalem every year. Three times a year, the Jewish men were required to go to Jerusalem to worship but not all of them could afford to do so. If they chose one feast to attend, it was typically the Passover in Jerusalem that celebrated the passing over of the Holy Spirit uh, during the enslavement in Egypt that preceded the Exodus story. And they tried to take their family with them as it was the most important feast on the Jewish calendar. Think of like Easter or Christmas for the Protestant tradition. These families traveled to these feasts in caravans, right? There was no plane, train, or automobile. It was just traveling in caravans. And the women and the children led the way and set the pace, and the men and the young men would follow behind them. And relatives and often whole villages, can you imagine this, would travel together, and they all kept an eye on each other's children. <laughs> and at the age of 12, Jesus could have easily gone from one group to another without being missed. There is a contemporary 
parenting style it, that kind of alludes to this. It's called free-range parenting. And Mary and Joseph were free-range parents. They were the kind of parents like, oh, Jesus, yeah, he's with them, or he's with them. Verse 46, after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Verse 47, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? That's not what I would say. Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. That's the understatement of all time. I mean, try to put yourself in Mary or Joseph's shoes just for a hot second. We've been anxiously searching for you. I am not a free-range parent. I am a helicopter parent. I'm the opposite of free-range. And so, like, if this were to happen to me, I would be like, shut down the airways. I'm calling my Navy SEAL buddy for a favor. Like, Elon Musk, invent, invent something quickly to find my lost kid. My generation are helicopter parents because we are so accustomed and acquainted and aware of the evil that is in the world. And we will do everything possible to save our children from that pain or being exposed to that evil. That is not what Mary and Joseph experienced. They experienced a trust in their community. They trusted the caravan. They trusted the village. They trusted their whole village to keep an eye on Jesus. Assuming, wrongly, assuming he was with them, only to discover he was not. So, like any good parent, they go back to where they last saw him to check to see if he's there. Look at verse 49. Jesus goes, why were you searching for me? Like, what a stupid question. Why were you searching for me? What's the emphasis on? Is it on why? Why were you searching for me? Is it on you? Why were you searching for me? Is it on me? Why were you searching for me? Each one of those tells a different story. But regardless, let's just read it at face value. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Mary and Joseph were probably scratching their heads, but they did not, verse 50, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. So going from anxiety to treasuring these things in her heart. And Jesus, in verse 52, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Trying to make sense of this story is a bit of an exercise. Jesus, the creator of heavens and earth, keep up with me here, God of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, was obedient to his earthly parents. Obedient Jesus. Obedient children. What, you know, wouldn't that be nice? For the parents in the room, obedient children. 
King Edward VIII of the UK is quoted saying this after a visit to America. He said, the thing that impresses me most about America is the way that parents obey their children. Edward, King of Windsor. There is more happening here than meets the eye, I believe. There is a dynamic here at play that is certainly spirit-filled, spirit-anointed. Yes, Jesus is God. Yes, that is clear. However, let's dig deeper. Jesus' desire to know his Father and his parents' desire for him to know Yahweh, the God of the Bible, moves Jesus to be in his Father's house, which forces this question upon us. Was Jesus in his Father's house because Jesus knew he was God? Or was Jesus in his Father's house because his parents were devoted to the Jewish faith? One part of me says, who cares? He was there. The other part of me is more inquisitive and looks more closely. You see, Jesus was 12. And Dr. Luke, at the time of documenting this gospel account, would have comprehended that Jesus was born of a virgin and was the promised Messiah, but didn't yet have any understanding that Jesus would die on a cross and resurrect from the grave for another 21 years. What is the point? The point is is for you, mom and dad, the surrogate parent, the spiritual parent, the foster parent, the youth worker. The point is it's equally critical for your children to witness you engaged in the faith as it is for you to engage your children in the faith. Do you understand? Do you understand that Jesus was a product of observing his devout parents? Well, look, Jesus was God. Yes, he he was. But what was the age of responsibility for a God-man? Does that even apply to Jesus? What we know is that Jesus was raised in a household with parents who were devoted to the faith and made sure that he witnessed that. It says in the text, every year they would make this journey. If they were going to make that journey, they would have observed the Sabbath. They would have observed observed evening prayers. They would have observed all of these Jewish traditions that were supposed to draw them closer and closer to Yahweh, the God of the Bible. It is equally important for your spiritual child, your biological child, the person that you have active spiritual influence over, it is critical that they witness you, the person who is old enough to say they're responsible. It's important that they witness you engaged in the faith. Let me share some statistics with you that are going to wake you up. Kids who become active Christ followers as adults, these are not meant to shame you, guilt you. They are meant for the Holy Spirit to roundhouse kick you in the head. If mom and dad went to church, the percentage is 72%. Now this next one, 
the Holy Spirit's about to sucker punch some of you men. Listen, men. If mom only went to church 15%. That is not to guilt you. That is not to shame you. If anything, it is the spiritual influence that you could have over your spiritual son, your spiritual daughter, your biological son, your biological daughter. The impact that you could have, men, is limitless. Wake up. You have so much influential power over this next generation. Stop leaning back and twiddling your thumbs, hoping the next generation meets Jesus when you're doing nothing about it. Get involved in a young person's life. You have way more spiritual influence than you ever thought possible. Or if dad only went to church, 55%. And then finally, the extremely sad percentage, if neither mom nor dad went to church, there is a 0.6% chance a kid will go on to be an active Christ follower. Now, some of y'all are here by God's grace and God's grace alone because you are that 0.6%. And you are the exception to the rule. And praise Jesus for that. But these percentages are, are just a simple perspective teacher. They're supposed to teach us something. What do they teach us? They teach us that discipleship is caught as much as it is taught. Do you understand that? Do you understand that your, your kids are watching you? Do you understand that they're sponges? Do you understand that they're modeling your behavior? Do you understand that they're watching and listening to everything that you say and do? It is incumbent upon the person that is of the age of responsibility to exercise and steward that responsibility of faith for this next generation of young people, kids, students, and otherwise. I did not learn the Lord's Prayer from the Bible, church family. I learned the Lord's Prayer because every single night, my father tirelessly kneeled before my bed and recited the Lord's Prayer next to my face. At the time, I thought it was a little annoying. But boy, am I glad that he did that. Because it instilled in me a value. It modeled for me a value. I witnessed it. And now that I'm at the age of responsibility, I can look back and say that modeling, that witness, the power of that cannot be overstated. It's been said that example is your best rhetoric. Example. Who cares what you say if you can't back it up with action? It is only God's word that doesn't have to back itself up with action. God's words are the power or the action. But humans have to back up our words with modeling, with example, and with action. It means that you have got to model it. You got to show up. You got to stop talking the talk and start walking the walk. You got to jump in. You got to contribute something to the local church, to the kingdom's expansion. If you want to see young people get excited about Jesus, get excited about Jesus. That's it. If they think that you're having a lame time worshiping Jesus, they're going to be like, this is lame. If they hear your prayers are weak sauce, why do they think prayer works? 
They're watching and they're listening. You got to show up. You got to turn out. You got to jump in. You got to model this. Some of you are just like, yeah, Luke, that, that would be great. You know, my kids are grown or we don't have kids or, or whatever. I get it. I mean, each one of us could come up with our own circumstantial set of excuses as to why God wouldn't want to use us to be influential in this next generation. I, I get it. I get it. And you know what happened to me? Like the day, my last day as being a youth pastor, it was like a month later, we got pregnant. So then I went from like, young people to even like younger people. The opportunities around you to be influential in this next generation of kids and students is limitless. You just have to open your eyes for a hot second and look around and see how is the Holy Spirit moving in my family? How is the Holy Spirit moving in my local church, in my community, at my school? It's really simple. Your family is prepared for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit when you and your family prioritize it. What you prioritize will ultimately become practiced, will ultimately become realized. If you prioritize an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, your family will be a great candidate for the Spirit to show up and pour himself out into you. Maybe you're like, well, I don't, I don't have a plan, Luke. Like, I don't, I don't have any plan right now. Like, we just, we have our routine. Integrate spiritual formation into your routine. If your kids go to bed every night, that's a great opportunity to say evening prayers and start asking your kids to participate in those prayers. And they're going to say childlike prayers. And guess what, mom and dad, you're going to learn something beautiful from them because they're going to go down their gratitude list and they're going to say thank you for like a hundred things that you forgot to say thank you for. Integrate evening prayers into your routine. When you wake up in the morning, surely you could open up your phone and look at the YouVersion Bible app and, and you could see the verse of the day. And you could share the verse of the day at breakfast. And by the way, our church is now on the YouVersion app. So when you go to, go to the YouVersion app, you can select Find Churches. Go to the church's uh, little button and select our church as, as your church. You can do that. It's pretty cool. Then you can share with your kids the verse of the day while they're eating breakfast. And if you commute your kids to, to school or if you're taking them to their practice, instead of them being on a, a screen, their phone, or an iPad, why don't you just crank some worship music? You could crank up some worship music and you could help your kids begin to love these theologically rich lyrics that mean something, that mean something. And then it gets in their head and then they start repeating it. They're like, why, why do I have this song on repeat in my head? It's because mom and dad put it on repeat in the car. And then you can talk to your kids about what that song means. Craig Rochelle says it like this, a parent's priority is to gradually transfer a child's dependence away from them until it rests solely on God. That's it, mom and dad. That's our, that's our, our priority, is to slowly and gradually and intentionally transfer dependence away from you, helicopter mom and dad, to God. That's it.
Many of us parents in the room, we get so overwhelmed by the demands of our children, especially if they're young. Like, I took my kids camping this past weekend. Like, what was I thinking? Like, it was so indicative of just how little power I actually have and how short of a time frame I actually have to influence them spiritually. But I can tell you that every plan that is not intentional will never work. And some of y'all are here this morning and you're just now beginning to be spiritually formed because you maybe came from a family unit that was intentionally unintentional. Your mom and dad were intentional to not bring spiritual formation into your life. So you're in catch-up mode right now. You're just drinking all, you're drinking it all in as fast as you can. You met Jesus along the way somewhere. Someone invited you to a camp. Someone invited you to church. Someone prayed a prayer for you and you met the living God and it changed your life from the inside out. Well, guess what? You can do that for somebody else too. You can be a part of a young person's spiritual formation. And there are others of you that have kids in the house right now like I do. Every plan that is not intentional, God will not pour his spirit onto. He is entrusting us with these young people while they are in our homes. And 75% of the time you are going to spend with them will be spent by age 12. How can you build a foundation? How can you build a foundation that is crack-proof? You've got to have a plan. You've got to have a plan. That volunteer of mine that I referred to a little earlier, the reason she ran up to me, Luke, our kids are falling through the cracks. I thought about it later that evening, and it was one of her kids that took the Rockstar energy drink and busted out of the doors and ran off with his buddy and... She had no control over this, this kid of hers. Their family was a mess. Their, their, their marriage was a mess. The kids were a mess. The whole thing was fractured, broken into a thousand pieces. And I, I realize now what she was saying. She was not saying kids are falling through the crack. She was saying my kid is falling through the crack. Because the foundation was being so poorly built. And I would be saying the same thing. If I didn't have a church community, if I didn't have a people of God to help raise my children. And so the reason that we do child dedications is so that you would agree to be a part of what it takes to raise a whole new generation in the Lord. What it's going to take to, to, to see a, a revival happen in this new generation. They're facing things that you and I as adults, we've never faced in our lifetime. I mean, come on, like the things that young people face today, it's hard to wrap your head around. But that doesn't mean they don't need Jesus. That doesn't mean they don't need freedom in Christ. That doesn't mean they don't need spiritual formation in God's word. It doesn't mean they don't need adults who lovingly sacrifice their time and energy to come around them and lift them up and, and hold them accountable and form them into the image of Jesus. And, and some of us just need the simple wake-up call this morning that we're frustrated about our kids' spiritual formation. And if we're really honest with ourselves, a lot of us in the room resonate with that volunteer 15 years ago who said, my kid is falling through the crack. Here's what I'd like to share with you this morning that might sting a little, but I think it should sting. 
If we view discipling our children as a burden, we'll view their delay of spiritual growth as someone else's fault. But if we view discipling our children as a privilege, we'll view their spiritual growth as God's fruit. It is all the way we look at it. If we look at the next generation of kids and youth as annoying and in the way, we will always feel burdened. Oh, that's so annoying. I got to show up. Oh, that's so obnoxious. I got to do this. I got to do that for that young person. I don't even like kids. Well, well, guess what? Jesus liked kids. He invited all the kids up to his presence in front of him. And God calls us to be more like Jesus. So maybe we should like kids more. Maybe it's just that simple. God, give me a heart that enjoys and delights in young people in this next generation of kids and youth. All right, some of y'all are going to get kicked so hard by the Holy Spirit with this. There is a 0.0296% chance your son or daughter will become a professional athlete. There is a 100% chance your child will stand before Jesus one day. A 100% chance. I'm so glad your kids are in soccer and volleyball and rowing and basket weaving and all of the things. I'm so glad. Get them in all of the things, but get them to the community of believers. Get them to the church of the living God. Get them around believers so they can witness what it means to worship and pray and sacrifice and commune and fellowship and live in the presence of God. They can shoot hoops all day long and become the next LeBron James and hate God. Is that what you want? No, it's not. I know it's not. Like, let them blossom and thrive as an athlete. Yes, give them every opportunity. Obviously, all of us parents want that for our kids. But I'll tell you it right now. When Jesus said, if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for them to be drowned. I had to think about that for a second. Have we accidentally been guilty of causing our own kids to stumble by putting up values on a pedestal for them to aim for and to, and to strive for? And, 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 the, and the community of God is eclipsed by that pedestal value? Are your kids being discipled by their coach more than they're being discipled by you and their church? This is out of balance. Let them be pro-athletes in their school. Let them be great singers and musicians. Go to the recitals. Let them become great guitarists and pianists and all of the things. Let them go do all of the extracurriculars. But make sure that your children experience the community of God because it takes a village. And more specifically, it takes a church. And we are the caravan of 2023. We are the ones that are looking out for each other's children. We are the ones that are going to be 
ultimately responsible for helping this next generation, whether it's your kid, my kid, that, those kids, these kids, we are all going to be each other's keepers. So mom and dad, you might have to make a plan today. You might have to make an intentional plan. Let me ask you, what is your plan? What's your plan? Because if you walk out of here with no plan, then the Holy Spirit kicked you, but you weren't willing to do anything about it. Here's a simple plan. Proverbs 22.6. Start children off on the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Some of you need to make massive, massive changes in your schedule today. Some of you need to make huge, huge shifts in your priorities today. Some of you need to put on the chopping block values that you once were capital V values. They are actually lowercase v values. And you need to ask the Lord to help you distinguish the difference between those values today. Here's some training from Proverbs. I don't care if your kids are grown. I don't care if your kids are married. I don't care if your kids are in the nursery right now. I don't care if your kids are sitting next to you uh, as I say these words. Training from Proverbs does not have an expiration date. Number one, manage God's money. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Start them off right. Some of you are so skilled in money you understand numbers, you understand finances, you understand all things economics, you breathe it, you sleep it, you understand it so well. Impart everything you know about managing God's money to your children. And if you don't know anything about managing God's money, get them around someone who does. Because the world of finance is a real burden, isn't it? And if we can teach our children when they are young, the more you entrust to God, the more God entrusts to you. If we can teach them that principle with money, their whole lives could change. Number two, carefully select friends. Proverbs 13, 20. Some of you are so burdened by the friends that your kids have right now. Did you ever intentionally set them aside and train them? Did you ever take an opportunity to tell them, hey, this is what it means to select godly friends? Because the power and the influence of peers. How about number three? Training your kids to watch their words. Isn't it wise that not every thought that goes through our head has to also come out of our mouth? Like the wisdom of biting our tongues? Like our kids, of all people, our kids should know that. And number four, be responsible. Responsibility doesn't start at the age of responsibility. Responsibility starts whenever you decide to teach it to your children. Start now. Don't wait. Number five, guard their minds. Proverbs 23, 7. The whole world is at their fingertips right now. Their mind is the target of the enemy. Teach your children how to guard their precious, precious mind. Number six, be generous. Proverbs eleven twenty five. We have some of the most generous people in this church I've, I've ever seen. Teach that to your children. Teach them what it means to live sacrificially so that they would pick up on that early. And then finally, maybe the most important one is to fear God. 
is to not, not fear the things of the world and, and not to fear what they cannot control, but to fear God because he is the one who is in control. Just about uh, 30 or 40 minutes ago before the, the service started, the team, we always have this little pregame meeting and um, we had an individual speak up about this individual's need this individual described a reality of, of losing um, a job um, and the children being affected by that, the income being affected by that. And it, it reminded me of how important it is for the church, the community of believers to be around and among each other right now. And there are moms and dads in this room right now who have a burden for their children. You've, you're a spiritual parent, you're a surrogate parent, you're a foster parent, and you have a burden for these young people and you don't even know how to describe it, to express it. I'm telling you right now, please tell the church. Bring the burden to the feet of Jesus and communicate the burden to the people of Jesus because it does take a village. It is going to take a church body to bring in this new generation of young people and, and set them up for a lifetime of success, which means that some of you today have got to make a change. Mom and dad, you gotta make a change about schedule. On the drive home, you gotta talk about, we've got a shift around our schedule. We, we have got to figure out our insane schedule. I am not willing for my kids to miss the one hour out of the 168 hours they have in a week, the one hour they have with the people of God on a Sunday morning. I'm not going to miss that hour. I'm going to change around my schedule so that I have time with my child to teach them how to pray, give them opportunities to pray, open God's word in front of them so they see you reading God's word. Crank up the worship music. There's plenty of it out there. Let them hear you sing along. Witness. Model it for them. Be an example for them. And then some of you, you've got to make some, some massive change about your kids' schedules. And you've got to ask the living God to help you delineate between lowercase v values and, and, and capital case v values. And, and maybe the sports and the extracurriculars and all the things are important, but maybe they just need to be prioritized. Simple as that. And because when you prioritize an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your family, God sees it, God breathes on it, God gives it. So let's do this. Let's close in, in a word of prayer. And I just want to invite the mom or the dad who's burdened by their child, their spiritual child, their surrogate child, their foster child. I want to invite you. We want to commission you. We want to anoint you with prayer. Uh, we want to invite you to the prayer room immediately during this next song and after service before the communion meal. If you would like to have the community of people come around you because you're carrying this burden for a young person, let the prayer team commission you, anoint you, cover you in godly prayer so that you have the fresh energy to tackle another afternoon and another week, okay? So, so living God, we're reminded by your grace and your mercy today. We're reminded that it is incumbent upon the community of believers of today to raise this next generation of young people, kids and students and otherwise. God, I pray that your wind would blow into our souls and blow into our hearts and give us new energy, a fresh perspective of what it means to prioritize our children's spiritual formation. 
God, I pray that we would not see our kids as in the way or a burden, but instead a privilege, an opportunity, the first disciples that get our best energy. God, I pray that we would have the wisdom to model example. I pray that they would witness us, adults, praying and and singing and reading and sacrificing and serving. I'm even reminded of this past week, Lord Jesus, talking with someone from the Showers of Hope trailer. And I said, boy, I sure hope that you're there with your daddy. And the daddy said, oh, trust me, he's there. God, I pray that there's lots of people in the room who just bring their kids along with them wherever they go, however they serve, in whichever way they sacrifice, in whichever way they pray, sing, and serve. God, I pray their kids are watching. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, we know there are young people in the room, there are young adults in the room right now that need a a calling on their life to serve youth, to serve kids. God, I pray for that young adult in the room right now. I pray that your spirit would just slice right through them and bring them to life call them to serve young people, call them to serve students and kids. God, I'm praying for the mom and the dad to make the community of believers their top priority. Yes. And Jesus, again, I just ask for all all of these people that anyone who's carrying that burden, would they just be free to use the prayer room as needed? So we love you, Jesus. And we respond to you in these next songs of prayer. And the people of God together said, Amen.